Welcome to Crossing Darkness, a podcast about tabletop role-playing games with a focus on the world of darkness. We broadcast over Twitch every Sunday at 7 p.m. Central Time and are open to answering questions from chat during the show. I'm your host, Frozen Fallout, and my co-host is Motorori, who helped me create a uh, this podcast as well as a 40-person, four-table Gen Con event. How's it going, Mike? Uh, pretty good. And uh, hello to everyone today. Our special guest today is Tone Malazzo. Tone, how have these Dark Knights been treating you? Uh, much better now that it's getting, at least there's a little sunlight in the evening. <laughs> you know, when, it, when, it, when it's dark, as soon as work's over, then it's like, oh, time for bed. And in the summer again, I'm getting ready to come alive again. Yeah, I find it Did, uh, really daylight rough. saving time. Yep. The daylight saving time uh, creep up oh, on you. And... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's going to kick my ass again. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a late night guy, and last night I looked at my clock and I was like, oh yeah, it's it's only 2.30, I'm good. And then I looked at my phone and it said 3.30, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Betrayal. Yeah. Stupid old world clocks. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, how, how did you get into gaming? When? Uh, what kind of games? Uh, so, let's see, my earliest memory of gaming in general, well, you know, I grew up in the 80s, so like there was that sort of, and I was in, I was, uh, in a in a church so we got a lot of that satanic panic stuff initially, oh. which kind of was would keep me out right but um i was i was definitely into comic books and they had uh so actually the first role-playing game i purchased was champions the super role-playing game uh, okay. but i didn't purchase, purchase the rule book i had to purchase what they had on stock so i got like uh was it death day with the destroyer no that's the that's the uh villains of vigilantes book this island of dr destroyer or something like that so you ever, you ever occasionally hear a story about somebody who buys the monster manual but doesn't buy the player's handbook? Mm -hmm. and they just sort of like deconstruct stuff. I think Kenneth Hyde's story is like that. Like he, he, he and his friends only had that one book, so they had to deconstruct it and make something else. So that's what I was trying to do. But, you know, Champions is it's not just a role-playing game. It's an exercise in engineering. If you're familiar with the game, you have to like basically build all the powers from scratch. And then you get lines in your character sheet like 10d6 eb half end zero. Uh, which makes no sense to anybody outside of the code. It's like, kind of like coding. Um, so I didn't have much success with that. Eventually I got around to just having the book and building lots and lots of characters badly, uh, but nobody would play. I didn't know anyone who was gonna play with me. And I eventually had a friend who played D&D. &D, so we did, I, I had to make the bridge over. Yeah, because you, you, can, you can have all the books on yourself your own, but you're not really a role player if you're just sitting there by yourself. Now there's this movement now to solo role playing, which wasn't available back then, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I had I D and D by by default, I would say, for a long, long time. Uh, and let's see, uh, when I and it was yeah, it was just D and D. Uh, I didn't do a whole lot of gaming when I was in the Marine Corps. A little bit more Champions, a little bit more being D and D. Um, so did you have to keep and, it uh, quiet uh, that that you were in, in D and D during that time period, or? Uh... Because of the satanic panic that was kind of going on with D and D, or was that something that uh, you were you didn't really have to deal with too much? I don't think that ever came up. Um, most of those guys were pretty hedonist anyway. Uh, you know, the, it, their their Christianity was sort of uh, on their lips, but not in their deeds. So uh, it was mostly like just not understanding what was going on. Like there was D and D was sufficiently underground to most people from the Midwest that. That there was nothing going on. I did play a very short game. It was, 
actually come to think looking back on it it was it was very much an osr thing that before osr right they just took the rules the basic rules from dnd and did a cowboy thing mm-hmm. uh but it was specifically it was like was this when you were in the military yeah yeah it was in the yeah this is when i was in okinawa um but they were playing like a group of bandits and it was like the first session was okay there's a town how do you want to fuck it up <laughs> <laughs> and these, these guys were coming up with all these plans just to kill as many people as possible. It's like I kind of like being the hero. <laughs> I don't really want to be part of this. Uh, so yeah, that was that was probably only literally the only gaming I did while in the Marine Corps. Now um, when I got back to California, I was at Pendleton, and I grew up in San Diego, so I was able to go home on weekends. So I, uh, I kind of played with some of the friends I had back then. Uh, beforehand uh, so that's where the champions came in but after I got out there was like a good year where I just really didn't have many friends at all like I was just it's so, social rules are always very difficult for me especially growing up um, so so I'm betting uh, that's when you found vampire yeah uh, so it was just a flyer in the comic book store somebody was starting a new vampire larp and it was he just used the uh, out of the book um live action setup where it's all a bunch of pre-gen characters and stuff like that and I and if I show up and my social anxiety was enough that I was like what the fuck have I gotten into I like I'm surrounded by strangers in black I don't know the rules of this game but then part of me just said you know fuck it you know you don't know anyone here so just go for it and I decided to be a just a big old asshole I was you know, some sort of gang girl who was vying to be part of the uh of the the gang of anarchs that were the center part of that scenario one awkwardness was like my character had a um an emerging love affair uh with one of the other pregens but because none of women showed up that pregen was played by another dude so we just sort of like we just sort of implied it and then just walked away from it um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh my participant because i was just went full force into into this uh uh, then, then I became part of two vampire groups. So that was that was basically just sort of like a playtest, recruitment drive kind of thing, mm-hmm. that eventually evolved into the LARP. And then the people who were hosting it, who were only marginally involved with the LARP, then invited me into their tabletop game. But we, even though it was a tabletop game, we still played it by LARP standards. Mm-hmm. So we would rearrange the furniture and be like. You know, okay, this this is a Peringian council, so we then we rearrange all the furniture, so it's kind of like a semicircle. Um, but you and, use and the like the that. tabletop rules, or we use the tabletop rules, yeah. But it, I love I love do... that. Like I I love having the the tabletop rules with very large amount of LARP inside of it because I I like personally I'm just huge on the tabletop rules comparatively. Oh yeah, um, and. And we can get back to like how to how bad the, the awkward the combat system is and the LARP rules and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, I would really love to be able to do my tabletop role playing like that again. Just the resources of it. You know, you have to have a, a place where you can move the furniture around quite so easily. And, and we had a patio with a nice double door. So it was great for making an entrance and stuff like that. Um, so uh, so then the vampire LARP went on for a good time, and we tried to stay canon with, uh, what was it called, the Cam- uh, Camarilla, the organization they called it. Yeah, I believe the Camarilla organization yeah, they, is the, um, it like was one of the, the official, of the... or not, I don't know if it's official, but it's like one of the like bigger LARP communities out there. Mm-hmm. 
But according to canon, San Diego is Sabbat territory. And we really didn't, nobody really wanted to play a Sabbat game. So we, uh, we settled on an Anarch community. Uh, and my first character for that one, again, I'm still coming from a comic book fan. I'm still coming from a guy who wants to play champions. My first character was, uh, uh, what's the, the, the vampire who's clanless? Um, Kadif. Kadif, thank you. I was a Kadif superhero, so I had Wolf's Claws, I had uh, Obfuscate, and I had Celerity. And my first great game was great. I saved the rest of the team, I ripped out Sabat throats. And then we went to sort of like a Elysium thing. And then I was just the awkward guy with a, like a mask sitting in the corner going, I don't fit in here. Uh, <laughs> so that character worked in that short term, but I had to, I had to back out eventually, uh, which actually was about the time that first run failed. Like we, I think we, I think we did about three solid months of LARPing, but the guy who started it, he, he realized just how much work it was and he sort of fizzled out and then another guy kevin took over and then we restructured everything and then this time the conceit was there was a a very old nosferatu group in san diego and that's what's kept things um more stable so they kept the sabbat out they kept the anarchs out and they kept the camarilla out so it was i think there was a term for it too like there occasionally in the, the lore there was cities that were just sort of these pockets that were unaffiliated to any of the big groups. Technically, I guess that means it's Anarch, but um, that one went on a good long time. That was nice. Uh, and that one I played a, a Ventru, uh, not the sheriff, but the, the progeny of the sheriff. So was a, pro, uh, uh, a character was actually named after a cop I knew. I named him Detective Hilliker and uh, you know the vegetarian. I had a, a ranch out in our, our, the Hicks of San Diego, which is called Poway, where he had, he fed off goats I was like, I even have a, a llama in with the goats that I've not embraced, but I've turned into a ghoul to protect the other the, the goats. So I've got this hell llama out there. And uh, that one, Rick, that was possibly the most satisfying LARP experience I've ever had. I mean, I really, I wanted to show that a hero could do, somebody could, in these, these circumstances of the vampire setting, somebody could stand by his principles. And ultimately, he got torn apart by other characters. No, is, is that <laughs> exactly. the game that, that went for four years? That well, these are the, the four years is three separate games. Um, so that was game two, and then the game three. Oh, sorry, that was game two, and then game three was the the uh, sorry. Game game one was the the one off one. Game two was the one where I was the superhero. The game three. Oh, actually, no, there's four. Then it was the Ventru, um, and then I came back as a Bruja. Because okay, so the the people who tore my first character apart were Clan Bruja, right? Because they're Anarchs, right? So you got a bunch of guys with a punk rock mentality, and their 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 idea of having fun was to tear everything down. So I was like, okay, I'm not gonna let that happen again. I'm gonna be the Bruja Elder. I'm gonna be like this professor type. And I managed to keep things keep things pretty tight there for a long time until I eventually just got bored of that guy. Interesting. Um, yeah. So, so you took control then, uh, of the, the Bruja gangs? Uh, because I was the oldest Bruja in the town, I was able to sort of like set the tone mm -hmm. that we didn't have before. So because, yeah. uh, because of my influence there, like everybody who's had this sort of political angle as opposed to just sort of uh, sex pistols with fangs. <laughs> uh, just for no. context, what uh, era 
was that game being played in? Late 90s or early aughts? Early 90s. So I think, uh, early well, 90s, mid 90s. I, I say mid 90s. So let's see, I got in the Marine Corps in 93. So it must have started 94. Yeah, come to think about late 90s. Must have been 94 to 98. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's at like the, that's, the very uh, beginning. a lot of earlier than I would have had access yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah. And you could see, like, that was the time, you know, for, for in the early days, it was fascinating because there were girls involved, right? Because I'm coming from uh, the the times when girls were just not role-playing. Uh, and they were attracted by the social aspect of it, you could tell. Mm -hmm. And there was this constant battle of those of us who wanted to get into, not battle, but conflict between those of us who wanted to get into the social dynamics of it and make it a political thing. And people who were just like straight-up gamers who were just like... I'm going to min-max my character for combat, and I'm going to look for a reason to use it. It was We joke about how Elysium was supposed to be the place with no violence was the most violent place in San Diego because somebody would come and pick a fight every other month. It was very frustrating. Like, we had this one guy. I don't even know, remember his name. He showed up one month as a bruja who tried to sneak a gun into Elysium. He got caught, and there was a fight. The next month, he comes as a gang girl smuggling a gun into Elysium, and guess what? There was a fight, and then he didn't come back. But, you know, and the yeah, and the combat system in that game takes so long with the, all this mass Rochambeau going on. Like, you get nothing else done when a fight starts. That's it for the rest of the day. Yeah, like, the all the political stuff you wanted to do, you just got no time for it anymore. Yeah, definitely a struggle between... Uh, and that's I think that's a struggle, too, with the open game mentality of, of LARP. You know, when you go into a tabletop, it's a very... You're, you're a closed game to a certain degree, you know? I mean, I'm, there's definitely open gaming that happens tabletop, too. Um, but the... It was interesting from my perspective of coming from a tabletopper that did a lot of tabletop and then just checking out LARPs, and I was like wow, anybody can come into this and everybody's got their own ambitions and everything, you know, there's there's in-character and out-of-character um, struggles that are happening between people um, that, you know, sometimes makes it extremely interesting and, and sometimes makes it not so interesting. <laughs> we had this one guy, this is, the, again, the game with the, uh, when the Nosferatu NPCs were sensibly running the city. And one player character, what the arty farty vampires? Um, Toriador. Thank you, Toriador. He was playing a Toriador, and he did this beautiful coup. He got all these other player characters on board, and he managed to eject everybody who was sympathetic to the Nosferatu. And it looked like he was going to be the new prince of the city. And then his car broke down, and he couldn't make it to the next session. <laughs> and all that stuff just evaporated and he never after that he just didn't come back because he was just felt like he was ripped off and rightfully so i all the work he put into that it was just a shame yeah and that's that's one of the things that's crazy is like just how much work can be put put into that mm -hmm. well you're talking about the, about the openness of it and i kind of wonder like i I occasionally get a, a hair to look for another like larp I, I think you know really the 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 heydays of larping were the 90s and the openness of it maybe it's partially it's because you know there's so much online gaming uh you know both um mmos and otherwise it's kind of scratching people's itches but I, a part of me suspects that there is still larping going on but it's underground like they vet people before they let them into the games i can say uh, that there's a lot of larping going on 
Oh yeah, yeah. No, not so much here. There's a lot more than people know about. <laughs> you make it sound like Fight Club. <laughs> it's it's it is a lot of online like um, online communities that are um, like in and accessing and local communities that are that are built up. Um, but I do think that um, it is it isn't it isn't that it's not open. It's that it's just not sought after or or publicized as much i would say yeah i don't think it's publicized it's not advertised like you said that you found the the advertisement for it in a in a comic book shop and i think that's the the difference between the 90s and today it was mm -hmm. it was just getting off the ground and they were trying to get completely unaffiliated people into it and now it's just you just go to your larping community and you find your people uh Maybe i'll try that I mean, yeah, yeah it's. Uh, I know that colleges um, are something that they they used to hit up even you know in the um, you know last ten years or so um, that 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 was quite a bit of the college community was something to try and try and reach out to. Um, so a lot of the times there would be some kinds of advertising there, but truthfully, Facebook is where you can kind of go and try and find where you're going to find probably a lot of these communities. Cause that's where a lot of them use Facebook as their, you know, way of communicating with people as well as, um, you know, being able to have a, an environment where people can just kind of easily join because, you know, so many people have Facebook. So, um, and it's kind of funny because a lot of them actually probably wouldn't have Facebook if it wasn't for the LARPing community <laughs> and they're forced to, so they just have their character as their, that's their. their... Yeah, there's, there's an emotional intensity to LARPing that I still don't get from the tabletop sessions. Like when another person grabs you by the, the lapels and pushes you against a wall, uh, or you grab somebody by the ear and drag them in, you know, because you've managed to penetrate their office gate, and you're like, "Look at this fool!" <laughs> just th those moments that you, know, you just don't get. Yeah, I feel like there isn't just as as much. Uh, it's harder to get into the whole drama at, at the table, um, and I feel like that is even harder when it's gone digital now. Um, so have, have you been doing a lot of like the new digital like uh, discord gaming and stuff like that or are you still doing in-person um, gaming no no i've been strictly quarantining so we moved uh my gamer friends have moved all our operations online so right now i'm running two games i'm running blades in the dark and i'm running monster of the week both through discord and roll 20. um so you lose a lot you lose a lot definitely but you gain something too so like i got a a voice modulator software so when i'm playing an npc i can if i want to be a woman i just click it on woman and now i'm, I'm gaming mastering as a woman uh although <laughs> i sprung that on my monster of the week group uh there was a a crop circle which ended up being a, a labyrinth which had a minotaur in the middle so my minotaur makes this big appearance it's a farm boy who just rips his shirt off and he turns into this big minotaur i deliver my evil um a minotaur speech and i just turned on the the you know hell demon filter after i was done saying what i said they said what was that we couldn't understand a single word you said oh no <laughs> it just counts to them it just sounded like <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i think there's definitely some stuff to work with there um it's kind of nice to have the the roll 20 assets roll 20 uh, is really nice i like roll 20 mm -hmm. a lot We've been using that for our actual plays, um, and it's 
it's awesome. Like, especially, you know, it just does the math for you a lot of the time. So you can just keep everyone honest on the dice. Yep. Don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, all the accounting is built into it. And especially like I'm a fan of uh, Evil Hat Games. One of the uh, one of the people there used to be a software engineer. I think it's Fred Hicks. And he's, I think he's just coding all that stuff himself. So their support for those games is solid. Yeah, it's it's um, it's something that I've been toying around with an idea of making a system, and I'm like, I'm definitely going to have to learn how to get it into Roll Twenty. Like that's just, mm-hmm. if, if I if if I did a tabletop system, that would be the number one spot that I would want to have my rule set in. Yeah, yeah, I'm working yeah. on a, my own uh, fate condensed set set piece, and my ideal because it's a spy theme. Almost every game inherently has all the spy skills built into it, right? Because spy skills are role-playing skills, right? Sneak, investigate, pick locks, attack, mm-hmm. etc. So fortunately, all that stuff's kind of built in there already for me. Nice. So are you doing, like, the D20 system then? No, no, it's uh, Fate Condensed. Oh, Fate Condensed. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, I'm starting to think uh, I also want to do it Savage Worlds, mostly just for market share. And because uh, my ideology has been to stay, I only add a rule if I have to. So there's very little I've added to the system. And I think I can apply that same ideology to Savage Worlds and probably quadruple my market, you know, my audience size. Interesting. Is is that the system that you were developing as the um, the setting for one of your books? It's uh, off of the setting from one of my books. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. So the Faith Machine is a psychic thriller. Uh, the elevator pitch is uh, the X-Men in the X-Files. It's a team uh, called Project Deadline. It's six psychics led by uh, one spy. And uh, when I was still unpublished, one of my beta readers said, you know, this would make a good role-playing game. You should write that up. So I went ahead and, and started doing that because I figured, why not, right? Uh, my agent at the time had me do... So in publishing, the... the uh, the magic words are standalone novel with serious potential. So she had me outline two more novels. Plus I had all these notes and stuff um, that I had done my research that didn't go anywhere, right? They didn't work into the first book and they didn't work in the later books. This is all based very much, uh, the initial, uh, uh, for all this setting, the initial kickoff for it was The Men Who Stare at Goats, the Ron Johnson book about Cold War psychic espionage. So nonfiction book, right? But weird, like the, this kind of stuff the U.S. Army was willing to put money into is kind of nuts. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, so I'm digging up information from that. It was, I, I sent out a, um, with the CIA, a Freedom of Information Act request, and they sent me a CD for 10 bucks with just all these P, uh, TIFF files of scanned documents from the era. So I've got, I've got to get through that at some point. So I've got all this documentation. I was able to build out all this I've got three novels worth of bad guys and supported characters and all that stuff. So then I just started taking all those notes and putting them into a world book, essentially, for role-playing. And an unsigned benefit to that was I was able to, because it, this book hadn't been published yet, um, as I'm putting this information together for players and GMs, I'm seeing holes in it and uh, little tweaks and stuff that could be added to the the world building and have you ever heard the the, the expression series bible these are for tv writing no oh yeah so it's, it's like one document which is like this is the authority this is the truth oh, of the series yep, so like yep. star wars will have their their, their, their bible truth. yes yes yep 
essentially what I've done is write a, done is write a series bible for espionage, and like little things. Like I had um, spy in spy world, they have a lot of jargon, right? Uh, moles and honey pots, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I wanted my own jargon because that's more trademarkable and such. So I went with a playing card theme. So a psychic is a card, and then the person in charge of the psychic is a player, and then a hand is a team of cards. And that's all I had at that point. But then when I'm bringing up the role-playing game, I'm like, well, well, who's the, the player's boss? Well, that's got to be a dealer. Mm, yeah. And the dealer works for a table. And then a table would be like the CIA, the F, uh, FBI, et cetera. Those are tables under a house. So the American house, the Chinese house, et cetera. Yep. And then all the psychic, all the psychic espionage scene is just called the strip. Oh, I <laughs> So That's if brilliant. I hadn't done the role-playing game, I would, thank you. I, I'm very proud of that idea. And if I hadn't done right up the role-playing game, I wouldn't have got that. Wow. Yeah, that is uh, that is awesome. That is a great way. Of, wow. <laughs> what's the uh, what's the era that that game would be set in? Would it be Cold War? I'm I'm sticking contemporary, and I but I do totally. like the Cold War feel. But you know, I'm a my day job is I work in IT, and I'm familiar enough with what's going on with real world's espionage that it's almost all digital now, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't think of anything more boring than to read about guys sitting at computers uh, running bots and code and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, the idea being that the strip needs to stay secret from the rest of the espionage world so they purposely don't put anything on computer. So everyone who's involved in the strip still has that Cold War micro dots and dead drops and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm maintaining that Cold War vibe, but set in the present. Yeah, really? so it's like it's our world, but there's still like a psychic Cold War happening mm -hmm. somewhere underneath. And yeah, that, that actually sounds pretty good. And it's not connected to the game. internet, but it's still in the present. Like that's, just, that's odd. And then you add the psychic into it and you make it this whole like, wow. Yeah, well, brilliant. Brilliant! Definitely gonna have to pick that up. Like uh, that's one hundred. I'm hoping to kickstart it this year. Awesome. Um, so, but you have the the book already out. Um, yeah. That uh, and 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 so that's something we can get that on like Amazon or is there any specific uh, place that we should go um, to go pick that up for you? It's all the same to me. Uh, we <laughs> yeah. So it's it's digital and print on demand, uh, which means you can order it from any bookstore. Have you is thought that about it? Might take a little while. One, is that the one that we can get a signed copy for twelve dollars directly from you? No, that's my previous book. Uh, so, okay. <laughs> uh, my previous book is picking up the ghost. It's a young adult urban fantasy about ghost lies and voodoo on the Mississippi, and a young boy who's has to use magic to get in touch with his dead father to settle some business because his father's a curse intended for his father lands on his son. Oh. Uh, and uh, that book was published with a, a publisher that, um, among other drama, they decided to go with a print-on-demand model themselves. So they had a, they wanted to clear their warehouse, and I managed to, to buy out the warehouse. You know, I got a couple hundred copy leftover copies of the the regular print-run version. So that's the twelve dollar signed copy. Is that it's in my garage right now? <laughs> um, Maybe that one come back in print right now. Right now, I just have it digitally on Amazon and Drive Through Fiction. Have you thought about doing or looked into anything for Audible? So uh, the first book is on Audible. 
so the uh, the way it works, and my my information on this might be a little dated, but um, you, an Audible deal is sort of brokered with Audible, and you have to get um, somebody to read it. And last time I heard, it was you you basically find somebody willing to read it, and then the two of you kind of go in on it and split the residuals from going on from that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my current publisher is not going through Audible. They're going through another service to do their audiobook, and I don't know what the terms are on that, but we are going to get an audiobook eventually. Cool. Yeah, I just, I'm a huge Audible, um, like, driving and listening to a book. I made my wife go nuts as I drove uh, to Indiana <laughs> or to... Uh... And, you, <laughs> and you make her listen to chat starting in Chapter 35? Uh, no, I usually start at the beginning when I start the car okay. ride, but she just goes, I don't understand what's going on by chapter five. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I listen to weird books like Snow Crash and uh, uh-huh. um, uh, Empires of Eve <laughs> was was what I was mainly listening to recently. When I was commuting more, I definitely had an Audible account. Yeah, that uh, I've been really happy working yeah. from home lately. I don't have to worry about uh, <laughs> any commute. Uh... Yeah, but then you know we got uh, my my publisher. Her day job is in uh, in the entertainment industry in LA, so she's very well positioned to broker deals with studios. So we're we're shopping it around. We basically put together what's called a pitch deck. So it's. You, you you kind of take what you've got and you arrange it and what you think TV and movie studios might be interested in. Um, I'm kind of pitching the characters first as opposed to the plot. I don't know if the plot necessarily fits into a TV or a movie. Uh, but, you know, if they want to take the characters and make a show out of it, yeah, I don't mind. Yeah. Well, that, that's <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, that's what made the Dresden Files a big hit. Do you remember that Dresden Files TV show that was kind of... Mm-hmm. It, it I love Dresden and Files. It wasn't the the TV show wasn't particularly faithful to the book, right? And mm-hmm. it wasn't a big hit, but that's what that was launched the property into its mega success, right? It got the exposure that caused the books to really sell. So yeah, everybody wants to read the books because they know that's where the the good stuff is. After, but you know, you mm-hmm. get excited by a movie or a show that you would have never, you know, never known that these books existed. It's the exposure. That's what you're really getting. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. Um, so is there anything that you're, any future projects, any major big things that you have coming up that you're, that you're looking to be doing um, in the future here? I'm kickstarting the role-playing game this year. Uh, if I keep saying that out loud, I'm actually going to do it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I did have a thought just a couple of days ago. Okay, so I got the role-playing game, the rules set, right? Because it's mostly fate condensed. I added a couple rules. Uh, how familiar are you guys with fate? Not much, actually. Not I've, okay. I'm familiar that it that it's a gaming system, but yeah, I haven't actually played it. Uh, so Fate is kind of a... It leans heavily into the narrative aspects of it. So a character is is made up of aspects, which are narrative devices, as opposed to just sort of uh, like in GURPS, where a character is a series of numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can play it in a bunch of different ways. You can play it in a cinematic way or uh, a strict way if you want, uh, without much tweaking. So almost any like, and then the like the spy genre is already in that pantheon, right? You can go from Austin Powers to uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and they're all, that's all spy fiction and it various levels of ludicrous. Uh, so I got that kind of covered, and I just added a few extra rules, like for agencies. <laughs> Excuse me. So like, 
you know, it's a core, an agency is a core element of the espionage genre, right? Like spot, like uh, James Bond, for example, works for MI6, mm-hmm. but he's gone rogue. So you can go rogue from the agency or you can be a double agent. So then you're beholden to two agents or a triple agent or whatever. So I got all that mechanics added. That's the, the hook there. Um, so that was the you know crunchy bits. That's the only thing I really had to add because you know, like I said before, every game has spy elements to it already. Um, now I'm I'm taking something from uh, in addition to I wanted to do the rules for Savage Worlds. I'm taking something from the Savage Worlds books, which they had that ten point plot in their book. So you've got a campaign that you can run straight out of the book. Okay. Yep. So I'm so I'm writing up a a, a campaign for it and a one shot. So the idea is you can. You can play the one-shot with pre-gen characters for your gaming group. If they like that, then they want to make their own characters. Um, the one-shot involves uh, the characters breaking into some place and stealing a MacGuffin. Um, when they, so when the one-shot's over, they want to play a campaign, they make their own characters, and then their first job is to steal that MacGuffin from the pre-gens they were just playing. And then the pre-gens become antagonists <laughs> through the course of the campaign. Oh, interesting. Wow, so you really get to see it from, you know, the beginning of what your what your protagonists are and be like, oh, I kind of feel for him. I know what he's doing. <laughs> because you've played the character and you're later, later on, you've been briefed on the character. The information, you know, you don't have to partition your information. And then, uh, then my idea recently was I, I should probably just take that one shot and release it as like a quick start guide to kind of go for free Mm -hmm. just to to build up an audience so that's the plan right now uh so i've got that strictly written up and then i'm teaching myself graphic design because i need to do my own layouts for it at least for now until i raise some money you know eventually the the you know kickstarter's a a great place to go if you have an audience I don't think I have that much of an audience yet, so certainly not enough to necessarily... And part of the reason I'm leaning on both Fate and Savage Worlds is because there are Fate completists and there are Savage Worlds completists who will just buy every product from both games. So there's some inherent purchasing power there, enough, enough, you know, hopefully on a Kickstarter enough to get me, you know, pay for the art and, and the editing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want to turn so, out a quality product. So Fate and Savage Worlds... Those are open licenses that you can just publish books in. So, Fate is open. Savage Worlds is a little more strict. So, Savage Worlds has um, an approval process to be to to put the official Savage Worlds label on it. But if I don't get that process, then I'll just simply release a second document for free, because Savage Worlds says, okay, if if basically your uh, Savage Worlds gives you their stamp of approval or not, but from what I know of intellectual property laws, you can't copyright actual rules. So I could, uh, so I can turn out the Savage Worlds document for free, and then it would just be like the the essentials, and it would supplement the fate document. Right. Yeah. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer. So <laughs> <laughs> I also think no, there's a small enough potato that no one's gonna sue me. So. Well, there's there's the from what um, because we talked yeah. to um, Onyx Path kind of a little bit about this this kind of stuff when we were trying to develop a, a an Eve Online um, kind of RPG that we were gonna um, 
you know, kind of looking into with, we had all these kind of crazy possibilities. Um, none of that ever worked out, but uh, the when we were talking to Onyx Path about their experience um, with, you know, what how are they... Um, making their own system it's so similar to to white wolf and how what what can we do to, to do like their system or white wolf system what do we need to do for that stamp of approval type stuff and he's like well if you want to do it yourself you just change up a bunch of names like just yeah. just change some things here and there <laughs> and and make it your own and re- i mean like it's not we're not a cutthroat industry kind of like some other industries that are out there um and and in general that uh, from what i understand is yeah is you can't you can't just say that um you know rolling a d20 plus your strength plus uh your at- attack or whatever you want to call it gives you a, you know your against a defense thing you can't be like i'm copywriting that whole concept you can you can <laughs> yeah. copyright like specifically strength plus dexterity in this system you know like and how it like if it's exactly the same exact thing then yes you probably in in a in possibly unless your d20 says go ahead and do whatever the heck you want they're an open system they say you know you can uh, take this and just copy us exactly and then make your own stuff Um, but other games you just you know tweak things just a little bit for my understanding but once again i'm not a lawyer either so (laughs) About this way, get even more atomic, right? I'm going to copyright drawing a card. The act of drawing a card from a deck. The yeah. Of that, right? right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah. That's a make like, it. Base... me millions. <laughs> and I think, actually, in, in addition to, 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 to gaming, I think the idea that you can't copyright rules like no running by the pool. If you copyright that rule, then people got to pay you to put up a pot sign that says "no running by the pool," and then that's going to cause injuries. Oh. So I think that I think that's really kind of part legally like the entanglement right there about rules and why you can't copyright them. Interesting. I hope I hope one of our viewers hears this and either uh, like confirms out. what we're we're saying, or if you do um, have a completely knowledge of what the heck's going, what we're talking about <laughs> here, and we're completely off, please let us know. Um, I'll reach out to Tone here and make sure that he gets what information you give me and I will put it out onto our podcast to make sure that everybody knows whatever uh, we might even do a whole podcast on it and invite you on or if you want to stay anonymous anonymous go ahead yeah you know let us know that we're we're completely right or wrong if we could find somebody (laughs) who's if we could find somebody who does gaming copyright law I would love to talk to them for a podcast yeah but uh, but yeah, that's interesting that you're in that that arena um, and and kind of charting charting out those waters um, and and we're kind of you know much farther behind on that. But uh, definitely, it's uh, something that we're definitely interested in as well. Um, and I think that a lot of people would be really interested in um, you know just just how do you how do you make your own game in this in this new mm-hmm. universe that uh, we have with all of. Uh, how do you get it out there, distribute it, and everything? So, so are you primarily? You said you're working with a different, pub, uh, like a specific publisher. Do they work mainly with like Amazon for distribution and stuff like that, or is it uh, more smaller, uh, specific other places that we should check out that um, that we could put into our show notes? Okay, so uh, there is a distributor, but you don't need to know who they are. Basically, they are the person who um, handles the print-on-demand aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And and they, that also means they put it in their catalog. But as long as you say the Faith Machine, 
Tone Malazzo, Running Wild Press. Those three pieces of information are all you need to get it at any bookstore. Awesome. If you like a local bookstore, get it there. If you like Amazon, get it there. Doesn't matter to me either way, uh, as far as financially. Um, yep. Awesome. Pretty easy. Um, so do you plan on going to any like conventions or anything? Have you? Um, do you do the convention scene at all? Uh, so here in San Diego, I've been going to Comic-Con since 84, I think. That was my first one. I, was, I think I was, yeah, I was 13 then. Um, and then I was, I used to work with Comic Fest, who is another local comic book convention. And so I, I, that was an interesting experience. I really, I wanted to see how the sausage was made at conventions. And let me tell you, I'm not complaining about anything at a convention ever again. I'm amazed that they get off the ground after witnessing it from that side of it. I was a volunteer coordinator. I was programming coordinator too. And let me tell you, like every panel is a miracle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, lately, I've mostly been going to gaming conventions. I, I did a couple uh, in LA. The, the Strategicon family there. There's three of them, and I, I'm not sure what the history is there. If there were three conventions that merged or one convention that split out into three, uh, but that's up in LAX, and I've run uh, uh, one shots of uh, the espionage role playing game there. Uh, I and I, I would like to do more of that now this year with all the online gaming because. This has definitely opened up the possibility, both in my, like, you know, for people work, you know, the, the possibility of working from home was kind of, people were reluctant to do it and programming from home, people were reluctant to do it. But by force, you know, one, one of the few bright sides of this pandemic is it's, it's shown that we have the technology now. Mm -hmm. And Comic-Con, for example, is doing programming all year long now, just digitally. Yep. And I, mm -hmm. I see why why not, you know, open up other conventions to these sort of like satellite, you know, a couple hours here, a couple hours there, especially like panels. Um, but also, you know, why not a gaming convention that meets like the first month, weekend of every month? You know, and I've been seeing some concepts of this kind of going on. I think Gen Con's doing some more like uh, virtual stuff. Um, I'm on their Discord. I haven't been digging too deep into it right now. Um, because I'm so like trying to get ready for I want I want the like big huge thing to go on again but who knows if we're gonna have it or not you know and uh, uh, but it's awesome to see that yeah maybe virtual cons I think are the way forward um, and it's mm -hmm. it's definitely I, I went to horror con virtual horror con um, it was my first mm -hmm. uh, virtual con that I went to and yeah it was a lot of fun um, just kind of be you know it was very different um, you know it's all because I'm at home, I'm not part of the full con of experience, but it was kind of nice to be able to be like, okay, I'm just going to go and catch this game or catch that. And, and then I'm just going to pick and choose what I want. And I don't even have to worry about any of that other craziness. It's nice to be able to use your own bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. Don't have to, uh, <laughs> wait a <in> line. <laughs> don't. Yeah. And, uh, you don't have to drive, uh, you know, hours and hours and hours, depending on where the convention is. And, or pay uh, for a hotel room or sleep on a hotel floor or fight for a hotel room that's the oh, yeah. worst part is like oh my god like okay where are we gonna end up this year everybody try and get a hotel room and then we'll <laughs> we'll go with the one that's the best <laughs> i mean well, part that's... of the reason i've been so successful with san diego comic-con is because i live here uh yeah. <laughs> if i had to get a hotel room in addition to a pass i don't know if i'd be able to go 
I don't know. For us, we we've been going to Gen Con for many years now, and mm-hmm. uh, I can't wait to get back. <laughs> it's a different experience. I do want uh, the but pull. I think, but I think the the online thing could be a supplemental experience. I don't think uh, oh, a yeah. few people kind of convinced are going to completely replace themselves with the online experience, but. I would hope yeah, not, no. but I hope that that adds. I want to see that as like a whole thing that we could just we can go to Gen Con every month and prepare mm-hmm. and get ready for and and then we get to go to the real Gen Con once a year, you know. And you get to it, it's like it, it would. I feel like it would just build it up way more for me. When you're going to Gen Con once a year, do you get sort of an itch about six months afterward? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. This would scratch that itch. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, it's it's, it's going to see what the what the whole. I'm interested to see. I'm very hopeful for um, the revolution of technology. I'm I'm a virtual adept. If I would like drop myself into any kind of tradition, mm-hmm. and uh, our our future is good. Like the, the we are winning all of the wars uh, in the virtual <laughs> adept side. Um, I mean, it's getting a little crazy out there. We're really sorry about the Facebook stuff and all the disinformation <laughs> yeah. and stuff, but you, we kind of are about the freedom of information. And I'm sorry, yet sometimes you're going to have to learn what's what's false and what's true information, but we don't we don't want to block all the false information either because that's kind of the, the point because sometimes you don't really know what's the false <laughs> and what's the true. So who gets yeah. to dictate that? Nobody. Let's just open it up. The virtual Sorry adepts are that. winning. Whether they're winning for the traditions or the technocracy, I don't know. I mean, I think they're winning for us. You know, I think we're just. I mean, I, <laughs> truthfully, I think we just need to get out of the meat bags. I mean, and and the the sooner that the meat bags figure out that the meat bags <laughs> suck and that it's all better <laughs> on on the net, um, you know, as soon as we clean it up a little bit more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it'll be. <laughs> we're getting it all ready for you. Don't worry, it'll be perfect. <laughs> Well, my day job, I do tech support. I, I I see enough computers go wrong that I don't know why. I don't want to live in one. Well, you don't live in <laughs> one. No, you have a, the farm, the server. You know, like you know, the backups, the redundancies. It's just like it's it's just as dangerous as falling down and breaking your neck. Okay, come on, that could happen at any time. <laughs> well, if you really want to get semantic, the digital web doesn't actually exist on computers. It is separate ah. from them. Uh, but anyway, real uh, real quick, uh, do you want to talk about Cyclops Road at all? Oh yeah, sure. So, uh, do you guys know the game Microscope? Not familiar. So uh, Ben, I'm not... oh wait, I got a copy of it. Ben Robbins did this. You can see. Not only is it a very thin game, honestly, most of these rules can be uh, summarized in one page. The rest <laughs> of it is just sort of like how to. So you start, uh, when you play this in person, you have a, a group of friends and you have a stack of blank index cards. And it's a world building game. You decide what your conceit is that you begin with, which is the high concept. And you each take turns adding elements to it. And this has been useful. Uh, people who want to play a homegrown game will sometimes start with a game of microscope. And we all know roughly we want to play something kind of you know, Lord of the Rings meets Marvel Comics. That would be the high concept. And what you guys have done, you've all contributed to the world building. Excuse me. So I decided, you know, again, this is like post-COVID. I was like, we, we need something to do online. And I was also thinking about other writers like myself when we, when they, well, writers who warrant to appear, appear on talk shows. 
uh, unlike myself, when they do when they're on a talk show like the Tonight Show or something like that, they never really get to show what they do, right? Comedian gets to be funny, singer gets to sing, actor gets to you know be present. Um, so how about a showcase for part of the writing experience, which is that world building aspect of it? So I get together with three other creatives, and we just play a game of microscope, and um, start. I, I usually will cast people with a pitch in mind. Like the last one I did was uh, William S. Burroughs' Lord of the Rings. So I got people who are open-minded to all the disgusting stuff that comes with William S. Burroughs, and everyone knows Lord of the Rings. Uh, and I've got. I'm working on uh, building panels for uh, Castle Rock, California which is going to be taking all the Stephen King, stuff Stephen King did in Maine and kind of reproduce some of it in here in Southern California. Okay. Yeah. Um, almost any high concept you come up with, you can work with. I, I want to do uh, one with romance writers, for example, and just do, just do regular people in a town and kind of build out elements. So you, you add the index cards and they become um, periods, uh, like a historical period. So like World War II would be a period mm -hmm. and then the the battle of the bulge would be an event inside that period and then a scene would be something with just very specific characters that happens inside the battle of the bulge like even if it's like taking a single pillbox you have the ability to, to zoom in and out that way but also you don't play them in order you start with a beginning and an end event but you can jump around the players can jump around and add events anywhere in time if they want to oh wow nice it it you know get and getting a group of people together like that who don't know each other come from different worlds or whatever some of the combinations are very interesting yeah yeah that would be it would be nice yeah you you would want to get you could do that with any almost three people that just kind of get this like wow you can get mm -hmm. a whole weird world that you've created um by kind of putting mm -hmm. all of your own self-interest in together and then you can learn about the other people's interests um, that you would, you're like, I didn't, I don't even know, you know, what that is. Who's Stephen King? <laughs> I, I know who Stephen King is, but. <laughs> and that's, and that's part of it. Like, uh, I love it. It's a, it's to make up for the fact that nobody can network anymore. You know, you can follow somebody on Twitter, but if you're like me, that never seems to go anywhere. <laughs> but if you spend two hours building a world with somebody, you really get to know them. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Do you have so a lot it. of existing connections with authors or are you just reaching out to kind of like people you have, haven't talked to before? I'm mostly building with people that I know just to, because okay. uh, I'm still refining the process. Mm -hmm. And if they're, they're friends of mine, it's a little less embarrassing if I fuck it up in front of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and also I wanted, I wanted a lot of examples to like, to, to before I start outreach. Because mm -hmm. like I mentioned before, William S. Burroughs' Lord of the Rings is probably the yeah. the one that's that's closest to what I want to do, but a lot of gross stuff happens in that, and I don't feel comfortable like citing it as necessarily my example to everybody. Like the the horror writers, no problem. <laughs> the romance writers, no, not so much. <laughs> no, definitely uh, understandable on that for sure. Yeah, so still still building the audience on it. Um, trying to you know, re reaching out to new people every time to. It's all about cross fertilization, right? Like, you know, you're having guests on your show, hoping that their friends watch and then continue to watch your show, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, to a certain yeah. degree, absolutely. That's, yeah, that's uh, part of the, part of the mechanic of growth, right there. And and it's I think it's also way more interesting to hear other people talk instead of just two people that have talked 
<laughs> over and over again about something. I found, I but I found that this is actually way. This is the uh, I really like uh, interviewing people because, like you said, it's it's a huge networking thing. I mean, regardless of if they're fans or or not, just the writers, just talking to the people, just getting the the storytellers, the players. Um, you know, like, and I've been doing shows with like just normal people who just play Eve Online. It's like you play a video game. Come on to my show. <laughs> Talk to me about what 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 do you do in this game? That's crazy. Like, why why do you like this? And um, it's been, uh, but yeah, it's it's a it's it's been fun just to kind of go out and just meet people. I do like to just, uh, just build the the social network that's out there. Yeah. So I'm just doing it on YouTube. I'm not. There's, it's stressful enough to me because I, I do uh, I stream it with uh, well I stream it but I use Streamlabs OBS to do yep. the graphics and everything. Yep, me too. Um, so I'm I'm monitoring that right. I'm flashing back and forth between the game board and the panel, and I'm zooming in on things and stuff like that. And if I was also had Twitch going on, I think that would be too much for me. I think you guys are really bold for doing stuff like this on Twitch. I, it's too much for me. And also, like if somebody makes a mistake, I don't want I don't want to be responsible for killing a career like. <laughs> what, I, what, I, what I thought of this idea is just after the whole Adam Coble thing, I was like, oh, I yeah, I don't want to yeah. be in that situation for anybody. So, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting going a lot of why we did go live is so we don't have to do a lot of craziness. We kind of let the live be uh, be the craziness and hope that mm -hmm. that kind of, you know, has like its own appeal to a certain degree. Um, but now I'm getting like these these like different uh, I got a uh, Streamlabs uh, deck basically that has like all these buttons on it. I gotta like program it out, but eventually I'll be able to oh, be okay. like, I'll just be like, ha, ah, that's my noise, my sound effect, my, you know, this is my <laughs> screen change, and this is when it does this, and it's just a bunch of buttons that I can have in front of me. Super excited to get uh, that added in. Um, but yeah, I do, uh, you know, it is kind of scary in the sense that, um, I mean, to a certain degree, li live on Twitch with. The, the viewer count that we have, it'd be really hard to destroy a career per se, because if, if anything was really stupid, we'd just delete it from the void and, and not bring it, you know, not bring it Fair forward. Fair, uh, but uh, but the chance of somebody clipping and, you know, that stuff happens, you know, and that's that is kind of scary. But uh, I don't know. I I guess for me, it's one of those like uh, I just don't fear stuff like that. It's like if if I get sued and something like that happens, I guess I hit the big times enough to, to at least hit, <laughs> get that. You know, I'm I'm worth I'm worth something, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, thanks so much uh, for coming on to the show here. Um, I think we're gonna go ahead and uh, get to the kind of wrap up point here. I think we're about to that hour mark here. Um, is there anything that you wanted to give any shout outs to anybody that uh, um, any shout outs you want to give or any kind of things that you want to talk about before we kind of wrap it on up? Oh God, I wish I put some thought. I'm sure there is stuff, but I, I wish I put some more thought into it. So yeah, um, so uh, I got two more episodes of Cyclops Road that I'm working on. And if you're interested in the psychic espionage thing at all, uh, please just follow me on on uh social media for now tone malazzo is a very seo friendly name and that's my identity everywhere uh i'm gonna i'm thinking about doing what you guys are doing and creating my own discord for the property absolutely uh, i highly encourage uh, discords are always really fun um I'll, I'll definitely join immediately and send me an, um those links um you know either it, you can post them right here on our discord too in the self uh um 
promotion Absolutely. area. And that would be really awesome. And then I'll, I'll put them onto the show notes as well. Yeah, mostly I'm just uh, mostly digging into learning layout software right now. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, we're also going to give a couple uh, shout outs here to some other podcasts that uh, we really, really like and um, have been on our show as well sometimes. Um, so we always uh, give a big shout out to Midnight Express podcast. Um, I lately have been, not been able to get to their main website. I have been able to get to their webs- uh, their episodes through other stuff, but uh, their main, main website is down right now and I'm sad about that but i hope hopefully they'll get back up at some point i was on their podcast and they kind of really got me into podcasting um he um he got me into podcasting very much it was really awesome um but then there's uh, so he does a lot of world of darkness uh podcasting stuff um then there's twin cities by night they do a lot of actual plays really great uh place to check out some um they do some world of darkness but they also do all different types of uh, i think they have like a western um actual play that's going on right now as well um utility muffin labs um does a lot of different uh podcasts he's kind of and does has has his own youtube channel as well he's got his own media empire he's kind of building check those guys out um world of darkness or world of dark ages podcast um if you want to learn all about the craziness of the dark ages from the world of darkness and if you want to learn all about that there is about mage uh check out mage the podcast very very great uh info on that podcast and uh yeah check out oh yeah terry is awesome um we had him on our show and his he just goes through tons of the mage material so if you have any questions about uh any of the books that are he is too smart he's he is also he's (laughs) and um made me feel not smart (laughs) and if you if you enjoyed our our show here go ahead and just give us a like we're on uh, or follow or whatever you know to do the thumbs down if if that's how you represent your love for us um uh, you hate me let me know it yeah that too you know just at me on Twitter and tell me what a tart I am. I can feel, then I can feel like I'm, I'm worth something to hate at least, you know? <laughs> uh, but you can check us out on Twitch, YouTube, Instagram, which is just a bunch of my cats, which Leia right now is like, hey, what's going on? So this is Layla, Princess Layla. She, she likes to come on the show every once in a while. Um, and then uh, you can check us out on Twitter as well. Um, Oh, and uh, and don't forget to tune in to our Mage game, uh, Mage the Ascension Technogate 1999 on Monday nights at 7 p.m. Central on Twitch at twitch.tv slash goldenagestories. And remember, that's Goldan spelled G-U-L-D-A-N. Uh, yeah. And uh, next week, we will be uh, interviewing a good friend of mine, uh, Relic Bloodlore, who um, helped create our 40-person, ter- uh, 40 four-table Gen Con world of darkness event that we did um and so he'll be on to kind of talk about that and all the other crazy uh gaming stuff that uh he is into these days um thank you all for watching thank you so much for being on the show tone and have a great night everyone thank you guys for having me on love talking gaming